All right, we're going to look at another pile of stones here uh, this evening. Uh, probably the most familiar of those uh, stone passages in the first part of the book of Joshua. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6. Um, but, you know, Carl's been doing a lot of research, obviously, with the information that he's been sharing with us. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull an audible here. I'm going to swap out this really flimsy stand for a little bit stiffer of a one here. Um, and uh, I've done some research as well. In fact, uh, I had a little help on an online survey, and I know why guys uh, are not living as long as women. And so I got some pictures here to show you why uh, women are living longer than men. Uh, sixth place here in this slide, because only guys would do this. Okay, all right. Uh, number five would go to this guy right here. This is Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you put the ladder in the bucket and you dress like one of the village people. Okay, all right. Um, number four, uh, you have this guy right here. I don't know where Charlie went, but he was moving that scud missile. Um, and All right, and number three, uh, coming up here for you. It was a great vacation, but I came home with an awful rash from Jurassic Park. Um, and uh, so uh, second place would go to this one right here. Uh, if you can't get to the light, just build yourself a scaffolding to get there. And the winner is going to go to this guy right here. We are on the ladder barefoot in the pool working on the electrical. Okay, all right? And I'll give a runner-up to this guy right here. We got the parking brake on. We have the jack on, and we're welding on the gas tank. Okay, all right? And that is why, guys, we are not living as long as women. Uh, and so... Take it and apply it to your life. All right, here we go. How many of you want victory in your Christian life? How many want victory in your Christian life? One more time. Put both hands up. How many want victory in your Christian life? Get a picture of the Baptist camp. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> all right, one more time. How many of you want victory in your Christian life? Come on. You just ate brisket. All right, how many of you want some genuine hard times and struggles? Three of you. What are the rest of you victorious over? Is there any victory if there is no struggle? There isn't. My son is trying out for high school football at Creston High School this year. I don't know. He's off a little bit. Um, anyway, um, and... Uh, <laughs> How goofy would it be if he ran out onto the football field and came out one night and they ran through paper, which is supposed to be a threat to the other team? I'm still trying to figure that one out. Let's forfeit. They run through paper, you know. Um, and if they came out, ooh, ah, how you feel? Ooh, ah, feel good for all of you who grew up on Remember the Titans. Okay, all right. They get to the middle of the field, and they're like, you want a V-I-C-T-O, we want a V-I-C-T-O, yeah, and they run off the field, but they don't play the game. Now, for Creston, we're used to losing, um, and uh, especially the Harlan, <laughs> it's just like all the time, uh, but you got to go out on the field, and you got to put the blood, the sweat, the tears, and all that in, and, and you, have to, you have to struggle in order to come out with the victory. Now, I, I, I baited you into it. I led you right into it. I recognize that. I'm not trying to pick on you in that. But it's amazing to me how often we are very, very ready for victory. We want it. 
but we don't want the struggle. And folks, this life is a life that will be embedded, ingrained with struggle. We're not tuned for eternity yet. We're not tuned for eternity yet. Two, two of you have come up to me and said, um, you're, uh, you're not wearing a wedding ring, Pastor Dave. You're not wearing a wedding ring. Um, I've gained weight. All the way down to my finger. <laughs> it doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to get it resized, but I just can't bring my thumb. I'm like, oh, I'll trim a few. I'll get it right off the ring finger. Uh, um, I, I, I don't not wear a wedding ring because I do not love my wife. I, I'm fat. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm dealing with it, Okay. Thanks for noticing. Just give me a paper cut and pour lemon juice on it. We're closed. Okay, all right. You know, <laughs> this is like, um, and without that, without anything, without a struggle, then there's no victory. And whether there's a struggle in a marriage, a relationship, a, uh, a job, we find Israel at a point of struggle. Now, they've made it across the Jordan River, they piled up stones at Gilgal. And um, some things happened in between chapter 4 and chapter 6. Um, they spy out the land. You have the spies with uh, Rahab, and you have that whole, whole uh, thing that takes place, the promise made to Rahab that she will be spared, anybody who's in her household, if she'll put the scarlet uh, thread out her window. And a beautiful picture of Christ there and and. And, and great, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself. Um, all the guys were circumcised. We won't park there too long. Okay, all right. Um, but the, and then they're going to go up against Jericho. Now, listen, I'm I'm not I'm not the best strategist, but probably circumcising all your guys and then going into battle is not the best plan. Okay, all right. Just saying, probably not the best plan. But this isn't about anybody's plan except God's plan. Now, you know this chapter, and you know this chapter very, very well. That's going to enable us to move through it, but I do want you to get the truths from it as well. We know this chapter because it's a great tuba solo. Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho, um, and, you know, it's the only solo down tuba that I can enjoy. Um, and, and so uh, we know this, this chapter. We've, we've heard of it. We've, we've, we've talked about it. We've, we've heard messages on it. But this is, this is the pinnacle of Joshua right here in Joshua chapter 6. It is the pinnacle. And really from this point on, we're going down the other side of the mountain. This is the highlight right here. And it's, a, it's an odd strategy that's put before them. But what God calls his people to do and what God enables Joshua to lead God's people to do is to simply obey him. Now, I know we're really, really good at talking about our, to our kids about obedience. If you're like me and I'm like you, um, I, I like to play obedience when it comes to like a, a pie. I choose my pieces where I want to obey fully, and I'm selective where I want to commit myself to full obedience to God passage calls us simply to this. The Lord desires your obedience in the battle. And this is a struggle. And while this doesn't necessarily appear to be the greatest battle in the, in the history of the Bible, 
It's one that is heralded out as one of the greatest victories in the Bible. Now, once you see obedience is 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 the pinnacle, it's the point, and I, and I like how I, I, I saw one commentator put it this way, that obedience is the burial of the will and the resurrection of humility. I don't want to sit there and say that if you don't get anything else, because I hope you get something else, but if you don't get anything else, please grab that. It's the burial of the will. It's the burial of ourself, but it resurrects what is true humility. And like I said, we're easy, we're, we find it very, very easy to talk to kids, teens, little ones about obedience, but we don't preach it to ourselves. And God calls his people to simple obedience in his battle plan. And he has a plan in that. How's God going to accomplish that? Well, he wants to implement these three characteristics into godly obedience or implementing these three characteristics of godly obedience into our lives. He wants to graft them into our lives. He wants to weave them into our lives. And so let's just take them one at a time if we can here tonight. First one is this, and it might not be the one you're ready to hear just now, but it's that the Lord wants you to work. The Lord wants you to work. You know, this Christian life is, is meant to be a struggle. Um, God never outlined the, the Christian life to be a tiptoe through the tulips. Um, he didn't promise us a road that was going to be easy. I mean, he was very, very blunt with his disciples at so many different times. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Okay, if they despised me, they're going to despise Okay, and on down the list. Two times Jesus speaking to his disciples, he describes this following Christ as take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Listen, nobody in Jesus' day was wearing cross jewelry. <laughs> nobody was. If, if you picked up a cross, you were going to die on it. Nobody had a cross bumper sticker on their chariot. You know, it, was, it, was, it was a death sentence if you had a cross. Now, listen, ladies, I'm not telling you to go home. And ban it and burn it. How is, how is that called? Ban it and burn it, your cross jewelry, okay? I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you, when Jesus described this following of Christ, he did not describe it as a road of ease. He described it as a struggle, as a battle, as Ephesians chapter 6, as a war. And we've lost this, this semblance of what it means to, to, to work hard at this Christian life. We like the coast. We like going in neutral. We like finding cruise control in Christianity. And so watch how God describes this for the children of Israel. Verses 1 through 14 here, very quickly here. Now Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. So we already knew that hearts were melting. They were in fear. And they've closed up the city, and they are, they are buttoning down the hatches. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. If you were like Joshua, you had to be thinking to yourself, um, <laughs> we haven't done anything yet. <laughs> what do you mean you've given it to us? 
They're fortified for battle now. This is what you shall do. You shall march around the city, all your men of war, and you shall go around the city uh, once, and this you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass after the long blast of the, with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people will shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people shall go up every man straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to all the people, Proceed to march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. And so it was that Joshua spoke to the people, um, spoke, spoke, had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the seven ram's horns of the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and they followed them. And the armed men went before them and blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, and, nor make a noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed from your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout, then you will sh shall shout. And I like how one of the versions said, You shall shout with all your might. And so he had the Ark of the Lord circle around the city, going around it once. And then it came to the camp and lodged that camp. And Joshua rose early in the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. And seven priests were bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And they went out and continually blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the, but the rear guard went after the Ark of the Lord. And the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, they marched around the city. And they returned to their camp, so they did six days. Now listen, I haven't served in the military. I haven't even come close to serving in the military. But this is a terrible military strategy. If you're going to attack a fortified city, this isn't how you attack. And you've got to know that, that Joshua, believing that this is what God wanted him to do, was telling the people what to do. But somebody in Israel's camp and we know mainly who that one person had to be. We'll find that out tomorrow night. But somebody in Israel's camp had to be going, this is a terrible plan. And you see how God describes it to them. First of all, he promises them victory. He says to them, you will be victorious. I have already given you Jericho. The done deal. Six days, you march around one time around the city. Bible commentators estimate that's probably about a half mile around Jericho, and it was probably about another mile and a half from Gilgal to Jericho. And so, you know, they're, they're walking a roughly, uh, you know, about uh, four or five miles a day just to get to Jericho, around Jericho, and back. But the seventh day, it gets even better, because then the seventh day, you have to go around it seven times. The command simply before the children of Israel, same command they had before they went through the, the Jordan River, follow the Ark of the Covenant. But this time, and you heard it, you heard it over and over and over again. This time, there are trumpet players. And they are told to play 16 times in the 14 verses that I just read for you. 
That's a lot of playing of ram's horns, okay? Some of your World Cup fans, you remember when they had the little Zuzu phones, you know, whatever, and they banned those from the World Cup because all you heard was the entire World Cup, you know, and, um, and, and these ram's horns aren't going to sound much different. <laughs> They're not exactly in tune, you know. How do you tune a ram's horn, you know? It's like tuning a bagpipe, you know? It's just like a, there's no doing it. It's just, that's it. And they're told to play and 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 play. If anybody wasn't complaining about the walking around the walls, you know, somebody was complaining about the ram's horns. And then there's this order. God says, look, you're going to march, and you're going to march in order. We're going to put the soldiers out in front, the priests with the horns, and we'd like to leave that part out, some would say. But uh, then we're going to have the priests with the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll put guards in the back, and that's how you're going to march every single day. He's going to tell them, you look, you're going to march, you're going to march in silence. Now, some of you who have been in the military, you know that part of the cadence that comes when some of you are in drill and is you get your cadence going by singing, chanting, saying something, you know, I don't know, but I've been told our sergeant is not so bold, you know, whatever. And you, you, you get yourself going with something like that. And you got to march in silence. You can't even complain about the strategy, the horns. And if nobody's talking, if nobody's doing anything, then you're really hearing the horns. And then you saw it there as well. Every morning, it was an early start. Now listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm a night owl, as hardwired as a night owl, and I, I struggle to get up early in the morning, and I recognize that the psalm says, meet with the Lord early in the morning, but it also says meet with the Lord late at night, and so I got you there, okay, all right? Um, and I, and I, that's just kind of how I'm hardwired. But some reason, when somebody says fishing, I can, I can wake up early. <laughs> We're going fishing. Oh, set the alarm, you know? <laughs> Somehow I can get up early to, to go catch nothing because that's how every fishing trip goes for me. And, and the point is, is that he starts them off early every morning. We just had a walking marathon the day before. Give us a rest. Let us sleep in. At least let us eat our hotel breakfast, and then we can go check out at 11, you know. Or No, no, it's, we're going early every single day. And you've got to look, recognize that this, this, how this had to look to Jericho. These people are on a walking marathon every single day. And they're just coming, and they're walking around the city, and they're leaving. And they're hearing the horns, too. It reminds me of when I lived in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. I recognize some of you are close to Mount Pleasant, from Mount Pleasant, and know about this. The Mount Pleasant has the Old Threshers Reunion. We live two blocks from the Old Threshers Reunion. And my mom and dad would come down for Labor Day weekend, or come up from Kansas City to Mount Pleasant for Labor Day weekend. And my dad said, hey, let's go to the Old Threshers reunion. So we went to the Old Threshers reunion. And my dad said, hey, let's stay one day for the cavalcade of power. Now, for those of you who are not from Mount Pleasant, let me just tell you what this is. This is a never-ending parade. Okay, all right? It begins... In the grandstands while you're sitting in the sweltering sun in aluminum grandstands and the sun is beating down on you and you're baking in the sun and people begin to drive antique things across in front of you in the grandstands. It starts with the cars. And I'm pretty good with that. 
I watched a Stanley Steamer and an S10 pickup truck drag race and the Stanley Steamer won. That was pretty cool. But then after that, they bring out the tractors. And there's usually one or two, maybe three commentators that are like, this is Bob Franklin's 1938 Farmall tractor. He restored it three times. And it fell in the well on 1954, and they dragged it back out, and you know, my dad's like, "Hey, I had one of those when I was a kid. I know those like great, great." And they keep going, and going, and going. Everyone has a story, and then they start with the steam engines. Now, these things bake 80, man, let me tell you. They are extremely fast. Bop, 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 bop. This one's Samuel Porter's 1832 steam engine. It runs on three horsepower of steam power. He'll blow the whistle for you. All the dogs in the neighborhood are like, ay, 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 ay. and they keep going and going and going. And and I am dying. I'm like, Dad, can we just leave? And he's like, Wait, we got to see this next one. It's coming right around the corner. Then they bring out the team of horses. And they start talking about the horses. Molly had a rash on her rear foot last week. And that horse pool they had out there in Kentucky. And, you know, and they're going on and on. And I'm just like, get me out of here. And they keep going and going. And people stand in the grandstands are taking notes. You know, there's a guy with an old VHS camera, videotaping the whole thing. I'm going to watch it later. I'm going to watch it later. I kid you not, later that night, I found the same guy who's videotaping a train going by. And I'm just like, I hate these people. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, how can you wait so long for something? Can you imagine what was going through Israel's mind as they just had to keep walking and walking and listening to ram's horns and walking, walking? It, it took some work. But God had said, look, it's already a done deal. I'm going to give you victory. You just got to do what I'm telling you to do. And I found out in scripture over and over and over again, God simply asks us to do what he wants us to do, to obey. And he follows through on those promises. Listen, folks, I'll just tell you this way. There's never a plan that I have that's better than God's plan. There's never a plan that I have that is better than God's plan. I know there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I know that there's good good advice for husbands to ask your wife something, you know, before you go do it. And I'm thinking about that, you know, bass, new bass boat. I always ask that of my wife when she's sitting in the car seat while we're driving and she's starting to fall asleep. And I say, you know, I'm thinking about buying that new bass boat. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. I think the same thing. Yep, 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 yep. I'll get it ordered. Yep, yep. Going to need a new truck to pull it. Yep, yep, okay, okay. I'm glad we talked about it, because, man, I didn't want to go out and do that without your permission. 
You know, God just tells us, hey, I'm going to make good on my promise. There's no plan that you have that's better than God's plan. God's going to ask for your obedience in his plan. God only calls his people to work, but he also calls them, verses 15 through 17 here, he calls them to wait. He calls them to wait. He says, but it shall come to pass on the seventh day that when they rose up early at the dawning of the day, they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day, as they marched around the city the seven times, on the seventh time it happened that when the priests priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and it shall be that all that are in it, only Rahab the harlot, shall live, and all who, those who are in her household, because she hid the messengers that, we're, that we sent. They have to wait. See, on day seven, they have to wait for seven trips around Jericho. And they have to wait until Joshua tells them to shout. If you're like me, we, we don't like to wait. You know, I'm the hurry up and wait guy. Um, we just aren't tuned to wait. We aren't tuned to be patient and waiting. And God says, look, this is the plan. One time, one time, one time, one time, one time, and then we're going to go around it seven times. So you almost hear what's taking place in Israel. Day one, this, it, it, it seems like we're just in a parade. Day two, the priests are playing the exact same song they were playing yesterday. Um, day three, you know, this is getting old. Day four, the Jericho people are making fun of us. Day five, here we go again. Day four, the, the horns are out of tune. Um, you know, and, and day seven, you know, the... We're today we're going to do something new. Just today we're going to go around the city seven times. You know, it's just like, no, no, no. One, one time was enough, you know. Now we're going to go seven times. But God was telling them that this avenue of waiting was a way that God could work. You see, I think what God was doing for the children of Israel is he was just bleeding off everything in their capacity that could bring them to think that they had taken Jericho. He's taken away everything that they could even possibly hang on to and say, look, we conquered Jericho. He was just taking it all away. Military plan. Show the enemy all your troops right away. Military plan. Go around the city and parade your army. <laughs> Military plan. Have trumpets that are annoying. You know, it's just like, it's, just, it's just all the things that they could say, well, what did you do? We, we walked in silence. And then we shouted, and we endured the trumpets. You know, it's like, that's it. Everything was gone, so they had to know it was truly God. Some of you remember when we invaded Baghdad, when it was live on CNN? You know, didn't, did anybody watch that? When we went into Baghdad and think to themselves, this is a bad military plan. It's like, you know, they're riding on tanks. Or, We're getting closer to Baghdad, and it's going to be bad when we get there. And it's like, they're watching the same TV we are. <laughs> they know they're counting down the days. Colin Powell's like, they're moving their weapons. Okay, all right. Um, anyway, we'll leave that for another time. I don't want to get too political. And then you think of what was taking place when these people were going around Jericho. You know that somebody in Israel, outside of the marching time, went to his buddy and said, hey, if it's taking us this long on the outside wall, how long is it going to take us on the inside wall? 
Did you know there's two walls, don't you? And some people think that ancient uh, Jericho was probably one of the first cities to actually have a double fortified wall. It was a city of all the cities you don't want to attack, you don't want to attack Jericho. It was set to defend itself in a, in a, in a very aggressive way. It said that those walls were so wide, two chariots could race around the top of Jericho side by side. How are you going to bring down that by marching and playing trumpets? You know, some people in Israel had to feel like, you know, we're doing nothing. And it was interesting, I was reading a little bit of history about World War II, and, and when the Germans took over Dublin, Ireland, they set up a, a concentration camp there. And uh, they would let the uh, inmates of this concentration camp build some of their own quarters and work on some of the buildings and plant gardens and different things like that. And then one of the elites from Germany came over and saw what was taking place and said, all right, we're done with all of that. This is what the prisoners need to do every single day. They need to pick up a rock from a pile that is in one section of the prison. They need to carry it to another section of the prison and put that rock down and go back and forth. And then after that rock pile was moved from one section to the other section, they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to move it back. And what happened was they began to demoralize the inmates in the prison because they were working hard all day long doing absolutely nothing of purpose. Folks, I share that illustration with you to remind you don't ever fall into the trap of thinking to yourself that you're doing nothing for God. He doesn't give us the command of nothing. Israel may have thought they were doing absolutely nothing, but what they were doing was walking in obedience to what God had asked them to do. And that was going to enable God to give them a mighty victory. This isn't what soldiers tune themselves to do. You know, soldiers want to be back in the battle. I can't tell you how many times there were stories of George Bush, our president, meeting with soldiers who had come back wounded from battle, and their comments to him was, I cannot, I cannot wait to return and finish the mission. I want to return and finish the mission. This is what soldiers want to do. But soldiers of Christ need to be found in complete obedience to him, doing exactly what God calls us to do. And then the last point, and here I can give you just one more thing here, just thinking about God's instructions. I, I forgot I put, put this quote up here for you. The Lord's instructions may be a challenge to their reason, but they are never intended to assault their faith. There's no doubt the battle strategy for Jericho was an odd strategy. And it was a challenge to their reason. But it wasn't meant to assault their faith. Have you ever concluded what God has asked you to do to be something that is an assault on your faith? And God is simply saying, obey. Obey. And watch what I'll do. You see, in the end, we know what happens. The walls that came to tumbling down, don't we? We know that God wants you to win. I mean, that's not the best analogy, but I had to keep the, the, the words going in sync there. <laughs> and with the work, the weight, and I needed a W, so I chose win. But the, the point is victory. God caused those walls to tumble. Finish with me if you can, uh, or answer the rhetorical question of Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? One more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
No one. I mean, Paul says that so emphatically. He says, look, it is, it is, if God is for us, sometimes I think we forget that God is for us. Our accusation against God is, God, you're against us. You're against me. I heard one Christian comedian say it this way. We're, we're entitled to ask God why inquisitively. We're never permitted to ask God why accusatively. You know what an inquisitive why is? It's what can I get out of this? You know what, and I'm sorry, what an inquisitive why is, is what can I get out of this? What is an accusative why? How can I get out of this? Greatest lesson I ever learned from this was a 15-year-old girl that was in our youth group in, in Mount Pleasant. She had a surgery up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where they fused seven of her vertebrae together in her lower back. And I went up to the hospital. I'm going to be a great encouragement to this young lady. I'm going to go into this 15-year-old. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to help her feel better about the situation and this kind of thing. And, I mean, it was a huge surgery. And, she's, I mean, she's going to struggle with this the rest of her life. It's not going to be a remedial surgery. It's not going to be a healing surgery. It's just going to help her cope with some of those weaknesses in her back. And I remember I went in to sit next to her bed, and I, I took her hand, and we read some scripture, and we prayed together. And she looked at me, and she said, Pastor Dave, I'm no longer asking God, how can I get out of this? I'm asking God what I, what I can get out of this. That was from a 15-year-old teenage girl. And my jaw hit the floor, and I walked out of there, and I said, God, can you keep me in the exact same faith? of never accusing you of doing the wrong and reminding myself that you are for me. How does the book of Hebrews say that the walls of Jericho were brought down? Great military strategy, super leadership, good plan, those beavers from the Jordan River at work again? No, it's, it was by faith. It's by faith. The walls of Jericho came down. How in the world was Rahab spared through all of this? Because she, she hid the spies. She, she did right, right by them. She told a godly lie. You know, um, you know um, no, no it, she was saved by her faith. You see, faith is the outworking of our obedience. As we are obedient, God then reveals that we can be faith and live faithful lives to him. You know the end of the chapter there, the walls come down and God gives a command there at the end. The command is that everything in, Jer in Jericho should be destroyed. Everything in Jericho destroyed except some of the treasures that be put in the household of God. Critics of the Bible look at this and say, see, 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 the God of the Bible can't be a God of love. Why in the world would God command for the destruction of man, woman, child, animal, and burn it all. How long had Jericho had time to repent? Years. 40 years at least. How long have they been fearing the children of Israel coming their direction? Since the crossing of the Red Sea. Remember how they said it? Our hearts melted within us. And how much repentance did we find Jericho walking in? Only Rahab and her household. I mean, that's it. that's it. That's it. And so God is just in his judgment because God has given time for repentance and rebellion has continued. 
don't know about you, but when I look at a passage like this, you know, I know I'm not going to go march around a city and watch the walls come down. I'm not going to go home to Creston and march around Creston and watch Bun-O-Matic go up in smoke, you know, something like that. We make Bun coffee makers, sorry. Um, but I am going to try to take the principles of this passage and say, okay, God, where are the simple steps of obedience that I need to walk in? Where are the simple steps of obedience that you're calling me to? What, how do I need to obey you today? What have you revealed today that I can walk by faith, not by sight? You write down in your booklet there what God has spoken to you about there. In light of God's word, what are you going to do? In light of what God's word has taught you, I'm going to. And then by doing what? Make it tangible. Make it something more than just a, I'm going to just do gooder in those things. Perhaps it's maybe speaking the gospel and obeying and speaking the gospel, that person who needs to hear it. Maybe for your family. Maybe it's men stepping up and, 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 and not only saying your loyalty to your wife, but showing your loyalty to your wife over and over and over again. Some of the most difficult counseling that I do as pastors is marriage counseling where a wife and a husband come in and the wife says, look, I don't know how, but he's having an affair on me. I know it. I know it. And he's like, I'm not having an affair. I don't know what she's talking about. I don't know. I'm not having an affair. And I'm like, how have you proven your loyalty? How have you proven your love? What has given her the grounds to even think that you're going that direction? Maybe as an individual, it's just simply saying, you know what, God, I've been delinquent in getting into the Word of God. I've been delinquent in following your commands. I've been, I've been delinquent in, in obeying the simple things that you've asked me to do. And just, again, pushing it through that entire grid there for you here tonight. Maybe think about just how this is going to measure in eternity. How this is going to measure in eternity. There are some who are welcomed in eternity with a phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If I understand that passage correctly, it doesn't appear that every one of those who were given talents and required to be faithful in those talents met the well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so how we live this life does live in light of eternity, does matter when it comes to eternity. My prayer is that God would give us victory, not because we have the ease, but because we've gone through the struggle. We've learned how to work, we've learned how to wait, and we've learned how to remind ourselves that in Christ we truly do win. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for these truths. Help us to walk in them, learn from them, and live in them. And we thank you for this and praise you for this in Christ's name.